Welcome to The Beauty of Conflict, a podcast about how to deal with conflict at work, at home, and everywhere else in your life. I'm Susan. And I'm Chris Marie. We run a company called Thrive Inc. and we specialize in conflict resolution, stress management coaching, and building strong, thriving teams and relationships, both in person and virtually. On this podcast, we'll be sharing tips, tools about how to make your team, your relationship, and even you work more effectively. You can find us at thriving.com. That's www.thriveinc.com. Or follow us on LinkedIn at Thrive Inc. We hope you enjoy this episode. Well, welcome. I'm Chris Marie Campbell. And I'm Susan Clark. And today we have a very special guest, Robin Kelson, who's been on our podcast before. And actually, her podcast, the Resiliency Podcast, was the most downloaded show. So you might want to check that one out. But today we're going to be talking about gardens and relationships. And also, you know, you may also have seen, some of you may have seen that uh, we did a little video around gardening just recently. That was also quite well received. So it seemed like an easy thing to bring her in to talk today and try to bring some of that out even further into the conversation that we got started then. And Robin is the owner and starter of the Good Seed Company, which is an heirloom saving seed company. Did I say that right, Robin? Good job. (laughs) (laughs) And people have referred to her as our garden mentor because last, well, when COVID hit, Susan and I had never had a garden. And we have our very dear friend, Robin, who is like this a master gardener and in the natural way. And we said, Robin, we want to have a garden. And she took us through each step. And we had a a very thriving garden. Yes. We were with the envy of a lot of gardeners. You know what was the one of the coolest things about it for me was you would, you know, really pull us back from having to be garden perfectioners. And uh, not that I've really done anything perfectionately, but it I might think I was going at it well. And you would sort of like, no, that you know, it's good enough. Good enough. You know, <laughs> and uh, and apparently that was really helpful because we did have some really healthy soil, and I I don't think it was well. And yeah. we wanted to say, Robin. I mean, because people listening to this podcast, you listeners probably want to know. Well, what are Robin's secrets if I'm starting a garden? Can you just frame up some of what the tools that you helped us? start our garden. I know we're in a different place in year two. Can Before you go there, because I do want to make sure, I want the gardeners to be happy here. <laughs> and I want you to know, as we're doing this conversation, part of why we're doing it, it, we actually think this is a metaphor for pretty much starting anything in many ways. Nature can teach us a lot, and a garden has a lot to say about how to develop relationships. But you business owners that think it's all about money and bottom line, <laughs> there's information for you in here. Well, and I think actually the relationships and the fruit of the garden is really would be the metaphor to even to the bottom line and harmony and relationships. So yes, it's about relationships and it's about gardens. Okay. So back to you, Robin. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to start talking and then you can pull out from it what you think relates to the business world. But what we did is I started you off with a strong, solid foundation. And the strongest foundation you can start with a garden is to provide good, strong, microbially rich, live soil. Because it turns out that it's the microbes in the soil that are the real farmers. 
really our job is simply to create a space for them to thrive and then get out of the way. That's really the best thing we could ever do. So with you guys, what we did was we developed and started with really good quality soil. You said I could interrupt you as we went, just because yeah, yeah, yeah. I think something you're saying here is really important in in that really the the soil is the farmers. And we've done a lot of things as as a human species to not really be too kind to our soil. Interrupt that Interrupt process. Let, let's <laughs> like just... people always want to get fertilizer and stuff. And, and why is that a problem for the little microbes? Yeah. Right. So, you know, the modern man, I'm pretty sure our ancestors, you know, we've been eat, we've been around for a couple hundred thousand years <laughs> and we've been eating for all that time. So we know what we're doing <laughs> at that level, but we didn't impose our thought process on it, you know, until pretty recently. Mm. And so, the you know, when if you listen to my resiliency talk, what I say is the youngest part of us is our prefrontal cortex. That's our executive brain that figures, you know, that does all the logical thinking and it's very creative and it's super intelligent and I'm not dissing it at all, but it tends to be pretty linear and short-sighted. And so it tends to think it knows best. Mm -hmm. The reality is, is that you know, plants have been growing and soil's been developing for about, you know, somewhere in the hundreds of millions of years. Like that <laughs> is way more elaborate and, and um, dialed in than our thinking is. So we started to mess with it, you know, and the problem is, is the more you turn the soil and the more you add stuff to it, the more you disrupt the community of microbes that have over literally hundreds of millions of years developed a relationship with the roots of growing plants so that they are a symbiotic community. And now we've gotten rid of part half of that community, which is all the microbes in our modern day agriculture. And that's why we keep needing to apply fertilizer, but we're not producing the nutrients in the plants that way. So it turns out, you know, our science has finally gotten to the point where we can really understand the microbes in the soil. And the more we're discovering that, the more we're realizing we need to think more creatively and more broadly about the relationships and discovering that apparently they have all this dialed in. We don't actually have to do anything. (laughs) That answer your question? Yes, that was great, Robin. And I, I really, you know, there's just so much to that. Like, of course, in my own world, in this time of COVID, I can't help but think about you know, you said the science is finally cut up to deal with things. And here we are facing this virus that's spreading everywhere. But there's some really interesting things about this virus that relate to where, how it started, where it moved, why it started. You know, I don't know that we need to go down this road. But <laughs> the reason that I think it's important is because it's like there is the science that's actually right now is pro- maybe very helpful up for us because it became a pandemic, getting a vaccine out there. There's also yeah. looking at why are these variants coming in from places where we have really destroyed ecosystems and viruses need to find the next parasite? So it passes on. I don't, there's something there that we disrupted a lot that makes it even, looking like the virus looking for a new home. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I, you know, I think there's some truth to that. Robin, why don't you, do you have anything that you want to add to that? So let me say the following is virus as old as the as the bacteria are and the and everything else in our culture in our planet is viruses are older okay wow. so they've been around here since you know pretty much the beginning of what we call uh, biological life 
which is to say that they are the peak of resiliency. Wow. You're, you're never going to get rid of them. And the reality is, is that we actually need viruses. We, we, there are viruses in our body that are part of our system that keeps us alive. So the reality is, if you're just looking through the lens of nature, if you don't think about humans and our, the way we think, just look through the lens of nature, it is a fact that everything is connected, period. So it is an illusion to think that one can be disconnected. Mm. Now, when you put the human piece in, we try through our thinking and our belief systems and our, the way, whatever you, however we do it, we try to control connection. Mm-hmm. You guys can take this to the business world. You know, <laughs> you can take here. it to all sorts of but What I'm telling you is that that's just a story. Like it or not, whatever, the data from nature, which is our platform for understanding the definition of resiliency, is we are all connected period. There is no other, there's no separation, nothing. I'm happy to go through hours of stories to prove that to you. <laughs> no, no, you don't have to prove it. But so what's the implication? Because I think what you were saying is we in our in our prefrontal cortex think, oh, we can control this, we can make this better and, and make it happen, even the virus. And I think you were even saying on our, you, this was before on our video, which you can also watch, but the, the microbes are on our skin. Like we yeah, have an we have biomes all over. We have bi- we have biomes, you know, in our gut. And the thing that we don't really think about as humans is that microbiome, which is made up of a whole series of, of microbes of different kinds and some viruses, they're responsible for the digestion of the food, the extraction of the nutrients from our food that then get passed uh, through the cell wall of our small intestines and into our bloodstreams to provide the nutrients that our body needs to grow and thrive. That same process uh, is very similar to the process that plants use. It's very similar to the process that every other animal on the planet uses to extract nutrients from the plant life that they ingest. Wow. It's all the same. I don't know if that was specifically your question. Oh, then we have uh, microbes uh, on our eyelids. We have microbes on our skin. There are microbes in the mammary glands. We have a whole series of microbes in the vaginal tract, all of which that are part of protecting us from, you know, managing our relationship with the outside world in a way that supports uh, the vitality of our bodies and supporting the babies that come through our vaginal canals already in the world. This is created over millennia, you know, it's not just humans. I can see how um, our desire to be clean or to do things to our skin or whatever is really interrupting this natural ecosystem that we have, or many ecosystems that we have in our own bodies. Um, it's another way that we try to, you yeah. know, power over nature, yeah. which I think you would say nature always wins. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, you did say that on our last podcast, you know, <laughs> and- you know, I, I'm all for what you're talking about right now. And I also, you know, know that our uh, neocortex, as you said, in and of itself is really not the problem. Like the desire to figure out how to solve something, do it. The problem is we sometimes discount other inherent natural relationships and abilities and what's available to us and get caught up in our own kind of right track without incorporating that. And that's when I think it really is 
a serious problem like that we could invent. I mean, I remember when I was dealing with my cancers and my good friends, Ben and Jock, who were both doctors, were like, there's a time for Western medicine. Go get the surgery. Out. You know, get the surgery. Do the, you know, and um, and then we'll deal with the ecosystem inside of you to get you back connected so that, you know, um, because and your doctors aren't going to talk to you about that. And you're talking about you know. more of the relationship. <laughs> yeah, the, the holistic. No, no, the relation, the emotional com- component of what created your disconnection even inside of you and in your in your ecosystem as a part of dealing well, with Well, that was cancer. part of it, yeah. but also my connections out in the world. The, yes. The, yeah, so, you know. Um, Some people don't even have that. We could do a podcast all on Susan and the, oh. <laughs> you know, no, I'm saying that. People don't have that context around cancer. Many people don't. They think, again, Western medicine, do chemo, cut it out, and you're going to get rid of it versus looking at the internal relationships and emotions and what's going on inside of me. Yes, which I, I, back to, I, I, I want to bring this back to, that's the whole point Like in of you even talking to us about the garden. Like, don't just go out there and think you're going to manhandle nature and put your damn garden in there. You know, <laughs> think about how nature works and give nature the benefit of it. And of. so just <laughs> even even for our listeners, because I'm sure they'd even love some practical tips of how you started us. You started us with a good foundation and soil. And I believe there were many layers on our <laughs> soil. People call it a lasagna method, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me where I'm wrong. Right. Right. No, that's true. So the first thing I did is I actually didn't separate you from the earth. We started with the ground that you had and we added to it. There used to be a a way of thinking that one needed to put a barrier between you, between the garden one was building and the quote unquote weeds or the quote unquote stuff we didn't want. And so, you know, people would put down what are called weed mats or plastic barriers or whatever. And all that does is put a barrier between you and life, your garden and life. Um, you could you mean like take the that microbes. Yeah. That's yeah. The- mm-hmm. So what we did is actually, you actually started, you already had a garden bed there, but if you hadn't, we would have started with just the grass that was there. And what we did is we put down layers of, well, we did actually, you just had a lot of weeds in your garden <laughs> bed. Right. We've never we, used that garden box, no. but yeah. Okay. Right. I forgot. Okay. Anywho. So we started with layers of cardboard that we wet down and because that will actually smother um, the grass or the weeds. And then we put on top of that leaves and other things that were, that the microbes could digest. Microbes actually love the carbon that's in the cardboard. So that works out really well. And we basically created enough of a height over that, those weeds that those weeds finally died because they didn't have access to light, but, we didn't put a barrier down so that the microbes could actually eat not only the cardboard, but also those dead weeds. And as they digested it, they were returning those nutrients and creating soil. And then we, and on top of those leaves and that wet cardboard, we also added some good quality soil. We have some really good resources here where we live in the Flathead and wherever anybody else is living around the world. If you uh, take a little bit of time, you will find there are people in your community who are making quality microbes, really rich soil. So just go find them. Check that out. (laughs) And then, um, and I gave you some of my worm castings and some live compost. And that was the foundation into which we planted your seeds. And the key to it was not only life, but no barrier. Got it. Question, Susan, I think. I I just want to ask, you said live compost. What is that? I I don't remember that. (laughs) Tell us. Okay. So when you make compost, what you're doing is you're taking 
often food waste. It could also be garden waste, green plants, uh, dry leaves, whatever. And you're allowing them to be broken down by microbial life so that they return to what looks like soil. What you want is to find compost in your community that is biologically life alive. A lot of the stuff that's sold in plastic bags in your gardening centers and your big box stores that is called compost, um, it's actually not biologically live. It's it's basically um, that life has been killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, it was organic material, but it's not really, there's no biology in it that, mm-hmm. that you okay. would be adding. Got it. So I think based upon that, when you say go find you know, live compost soil locally. And then live compost, the best way you would do that would be to find out one, you could create some of it through garden waste. Or if you don't have that, there are probably good local people that have have that organic live compost. Any quality sized community will have biologically active compost. And also the worm casting, that's like that magic gold, right? Because um, so <laughs> that's basically worm poop for those of you that don't know, mixed with water, right? <laughs> uh, it's, just, it's just the worm poop itself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, you know, I think about one of the key takeaways for me as even I listen to this and building this foundation that you're talking about, and this is going to be where I try to take it to the broader level of <laughs> whether we're talking about gardens or whether we're talking about a business, it's the same idea. You have to build it on a foundation. And if you don't build your foundation within the community that you live in from some sort of meaningful, live connection, it will be difficult and more challenging. And there are a lot of resources and it takes a lot of relational work to make that Important. I, I think. No. I think a lot when we work with uh, executive teams, a lot of times they think, "Oh, well, we can make this company do this," but they're not living it mm-hmm. themselves. Whether it's the values or even diversity and inclusion, we'll Im- implement these systems down there. But unless they're living it, it's like buying a bag of compost in a plastic yeah. bag. It's yeah. not really alive, and and people are. It's not being modeled, so it's not transferable. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to do another. Here's another little story that you can. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to those earthworms. Okay, now here's why that stuff is so incredibly valuable. So you have an earthworm. We all know what that looks like, and we have this. Maybe we have this picture of them and their their little teeth eating, you know, the banana peel or the leaf or whatever. But what makes that stuff so valuable when it passes through their gut into be forming the poop that we love? <laughs> Is all the microbes in their gut that are digesting that material. And there's a relationship between those microbes and how they digest that material that they release and actually form new mineral molecular relationships so that the material that comes out is actually super microbes or something. It's super nutrients for the soil and the plants. It's literally transformational. And it's a relationship that happens between the microbes that are in the gut of that earthworm, which are part, they're there because not only do they have an environment that's good for them, but they're there because it's a, it's a value to the earthworm. So it's integral to the vitality of the earthworm, but also that earthworm and those microbes together are creating a product that is of, um, integral to the vitality of the plant that it lives near. Wow. Yeah. I can so get that though, how 
like, okay, I'm going to, I keep trying to overlay this to the business model or to the family (laughs) model or whatever you want to talk, relationship garden, garden, you know, but, but you think about places where maybe it's a small business, maybe it's a, um, you know, that is starting. And if they know how to really make those connections and bring in even the people from the community that really, and they put some attention into the health and wealth of those people they bring in, they're kind of, not that I want to equate them to earthworms, but the, the whole process that they are bringing in is is They're, going to enrich the foundation of that entire organization. And it may not look like that when you, you know. Yeah. Who would say an earthworm is a really important tool, but they're like mega yeah. important. You know? Same thing with taking the time to really nurture and onboard, not just onboard, but really connect, connect and help this person understand this new context that they're in, in the business. And yeah. how much effort, like when you do that, t- go slow to go fast later, mm-hmm. you're going to have so much better results. Yeah. Right. Because now they're agents for the vision of whatever the ultimate goal is. Right. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't so, even have to be a small business. That, that's it, a big it, business. It could be a big yeah. corporate business too. You know, it's true. It, you know, but I think of even big global businesses, you know, if they even paid more attention to not just their big global presence, but their local, local presence. Person. What is the relationships like where they've put these companies, you know, and yeah. some companies do it and you see that they excel and some companies don't. And you see there's a lot of tension whenever they land somewhere because yeah. they're disrupting the whole system yeah. that they come into. Powering know? over. Yeah. It's that powering over. We know better. We're going to change yeah. and wipe everything out and put this thing here. Yeah. yeah. That's so, the yeah. neo okay. I'm, in, I'm enjoying seeing my business world through the lens of a garden. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you are too out there. I don't know. <laughs> now I want to also, for so that was year one and we did have really rich production. Um, and we were like bugging you. Okay, Robin, now Montana is a little bit later in the season, our planting season, but we're like, okay, what do we need to do? Do we need to till the soil? What needs to happen? And what, what you helped us do at the end of our garden season last year is put our garden to bed. And I'm sure... Many gardeners would know that, but why don't you just tell our listeners, whether they're gardeners or not, what that means to put the garden to bed? So basically what you're doing is creating a home for the microbes for the year. For the, you know, I mean, a lot of them are going to go uh, senescent or quiescent because it's so cold, but we basically cut down your plants, but we didn't pull them up. So we left as many live roots and live plants as we could because that relationship between the plant and the soil microbes goes on for as long as you want. So the microbes are eating those roots. Yeah, until the soil froze. And then we covered the bed. Basically, whatever plants we cut down, we chopped them up and we just let all those uh, plants, those cut up plant pieces sit on the soil. And we covered any ground, any bare space with leaves. The, one of the things you told me that I, it still struck struck me is like we could put a, a whole ba- banana peel on there, but the microbes would be like, oh my gosh, that's Mount Everest. I'm not going to eat that. But if we chopped up like we did with our plants, we chopped them up, the microbes, oh, those are smaller. I can handle that. And I'll go ahead and eat that, right? So I, I just really, I think about that a lot. <laughs> well, bite-sized bite size pieces. Bite-sized And think about that in terms of the business connotations. How many times does something get 
thrown sure. out into here's what has to happen. And it's like the banana peel on the for main, the micros, the, you know, yeah. for the you know, for some part of the organization versus this is a banana peel and we're gonna cut it up and it's gonna go through and be And that's what we do when we work with leadership teams is have them come up with three or six month goals, not annual goals, because that's like that's like that's the, banana the banana peel. peel. Even five year goals. Oh my gosh, that's a <laughs> A ton of banana peels, but giving people shorter hops that yep. move them down the field to success. So we are mer- very much like those microbes, small bites. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and um, and basically, what we did with the sort of the blanket of food and life that we put down was we protected the soil surface and we protected the life in the soil. If you look around nature. Nature tries to cover any bare ground as fast as she can. I mean, just think about it, just, you know, on your own time. And whenever there's... <laughs> think earth, about it on your own time. <laughs> and, when, and when there's disturbed earth, you know, whether caused by nature or humans, the, we do the very best. I mean, nature does the very best she can to fill it as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's actually because, well, anyways, as fast as possible. And that's actually the value of what we call weeds. Those weeds are what are called pioneer plants that come in and cover disturbed soil. Wow. Um, and you've yeah. often said weeds are just a, a flower in the or something in the wrong place. Like weeds can be, like dandelions are great for your health, but we think they're weeds. They're bad, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, weeds is a prefrontal cortex word. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to get rid of the weeds. Every, you know, whatever, we go down the religious road, but... Um, <laughs> Who am I to say what plant doesn't have value? You know, if it's here and it's been around for as long as dandelions have been around, trust me, it has value on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I may not see it. That's an opportunity for me to take if I want. But who am I to say it is my job to eradicate it from this planet? Mm-hmm. You, know, yeah. you can apply that where you want to take it. Right. Well, yeah, I, I, you know, of course, I, I'm going to jump on that one because it is, you know, like that is so, you know, we might be able to hear it better in relationship to, to weeds, like, weeds and plants. Okay. And gardens. So I'm just going to tell you a little, just a little sidebar on dandelions. Dandelions, carrots have a long uh, taproot. You know, a carrot is a long triangular shape. Yeah. That's what that's called a taproot. Dandelions have a long taproot. What a long taproot does is it has the ability to drill down through pretty much any kind of soil. That's why you see dandelions everywhere and pull minerals. They're called mineral accumulators. They can drill down and pull out minerals from um, really deep in the soil. And those minerals then go up through the taproot and are available through their leaves. Now, a dandelion, as we all know, is one of the early plants that come up in the spring. So all those nutrients that are deep in the soil make it up into their leaves. Those are food sources for any animal or human that eats it. So that's why dandelion greens are such a, they're an incredible uh, tonic. You know, if you follow any kind of Chinese, traditional Chinese medicine, any kind of traditional medicine, um, there are a bunch of greens that you eat in the spring um, that are tonics and detoxifiers for as our bodies move into the spring out of a winter time. Because so you the know. dandelions have all those minerals that we need to help detoxify. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, so don't spray Roundup on them, folks. <laughs> pull them out and eat them. <laughs> or pull them out in their entirety and put them in your garden as compost. That'd be another way, right? You know, if could you, you really compost do them? To, you know, would you get more dandelions if you composted them, though? I would be afraid of uh, them. Yeah. No, no. I hear what you're saying. It's a, 
you want to be careful about uh, seeds that you put into your compost. <laughs> okay, okay. So don't do. Never mind. Don't do what I suggested. <laughs> you know, find them the right neighborhood. You can take them into a different area where they're. You know, but why this is so important is again, this is how easy it is in our own bias and belief system that our neocortex is so great. We apply, you can apply this to dandelions. You can apply it often to how different cultures have treated people. Like, let's face it, indigenous people in, I I know, in, in Canada for sure, and I'm, I'm sure here, knew a lot more about plants and gardening and the, their relationship to the earth than we did coming in. And, and we made... Move, move them out of the way. You need to go to residential schools. <laughs> or, you're yeah, you're not... Crazy we stuff. need to teach you th- this our ways. And again, and, that's that prefrontal cortex kind of obliterating... We made what them like weeds. And yes. That's not a, you know, they are not weeds. No. And whenever yeah. you, you know... And that's happened culturally. Well, even in the whole diversity and inclusion efforts that are happening now, I think the colonization of, again, we're going to power over, no, everybody needs to look like us. Like It's like having the perfect lawn, all those sorts of things versus allowing the diversity in the garden yes. uh, to um, to help and, and cross-pollinate even different ideas, yes. all yep. sorts of different things. Yes. So, Can I share a short story? Yes. Sure. Um, so a couple years ago, I don't remember now, five, I don't remember a couple years ago, I was in Colombia, um, and I, uh, happened to, had an opportunity to go visit, uh, a native community there. There, there's a population, they call themselves Kochi, the Kochi Indians, and they're quite active and prominent in the Northern part of the country of Colombia. And I had an opportunity to go spend some time with them. They live in these little villages uh, up in the mountains. And I remember as I was walking into the village, looking around saying, I I don't see any gardens because they were telling me about their gardens. I said, I don't see them. And I felt like I'm just walking through a field here and they're just houses, you know, their homes kind of scattered through this field. And when I stopped, um, my the person who was showing me around said, well, there's the sweet potato plant and there's the, this, and there's the, that, and there's the (laughs) other. My eyes just, I didn't know how to recognize these particular plants. And I realized the bias and, you know, the, the lens through which I was looking was even my understanding of what a garden is. It's all organized, you know, and it's got a barrier around it to separate it from the animals there. You know, we have this tradition that we're, pursuing um in our modern culture that we call permaculture well that's actually how <laughs> the rest of the world used to just Garden. you know live yes. yeah plants that you wanted you planted near your house near where you lived and they were just part of the environment yes isn't that yeah. not in a square box yeah. in yeah. rows it's quite humbling you know the, the limitations in my thinking and seeing Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, Susan, I think you also wanted to relate this to the relationship garden of Ben and Jock from Haven. Well, you know, these ideas, these were two of my mentors who have done a lot of work in the human development world or, you know, over humanistic psychology, yeah, various things like that. You know, a lot of their philosophies developed on one of their books, so it's called The Relationship Garden. And the whole their whole idea was that, you know, we are like very much, you kind of said the exact same words earlier, our desire to control and get things, our neocortex to kind of get control of the world to, to figure it out and know how to do it and, and be you know, safe and we and are power always over. applying that somewhere. 
And and where we apply it the most is often in our relationship, like because that's where we want to the relationships. We want control. I mean, think in a business, if you're the leader of a company, you want your people to be aligned with you, do what you want them to do, da da da. And in a closer relationship, you want that for and we're always always about control. And it's very tricky to get out of control. And the way you get out of it is kind of owning up to what you're doing. Like, yeah, I'm starting that, but going from kind of a power over to allowing the growth of each individual person and trusting that and knowing that and having the faith that we're in this together. And when mm-hmm. something goes wrong, we tend to go to, you, you can't you do did. this. You did this to me versus backing up and going, I don't know if I understand what you did. I don't know if I even have a clue. You you may have been up to something else. I didn't like it. How can we talk about it? So to you move know, along um, on the the vulnerability to yeah. be real and sh- reveal and, and not know. Yeah, and I mean their concept was you know if that there is enough space in the world and the garden <laughs> for there to be different types of plants <laughs> that can grow if there is a willingness and a not to try to change one plant to be like another but to actually utilize the resources that are there and allow for that growth to occur instead of trying to control it. And I yep. think that's sort of the same thing that you've been talking about. And I mean, if even, I, even with the microbes, it's the microbes, but I also want to bring up the, the four sisters. Well, the three sisters. Three sisters, because that's a great <laughs> example of... Well, so these uh, are three plants. I'll let you talk about it, but I just love that I know it now. <laughs> three plants that uh, create kind of a, a symbiotic relationship in the garden. So I'll, that, I'll stop and you can, you can say, Robin, really what they are. Okay. And by the way, to the eye that's been trained to think that gardening is linear, you know, and organized and, you know... English gardenish, it looks like chaos. It can look like chaos. That's the Kochi garden that I was exposed to as well. So the three sisters is a Native American combination of plants that all support one another. Wow. Some some people call that a guild concept. Say it again, Robin. Some people in the permaculture tradition refer to that as a guild. But, you know, I don't think that's necessary. Anywho, it's just uh, blanking here. So you corn, corn, you've got some kind of a bean, which is a legume, and you've got squash. And the relationship they they provide for each other is the following. The corn provides a vertical stock, a vertical height uh, around which the beans, which are vining, can clamber onto and hold onto. So they'll grow up around the height of the, the strong stock that is the corn. You could also throw in a fourth sister, which is the sunflower, which also provides a strong vertical stock. The bean, as a legume, has a relationship with oh, microbes in the soil <laughs> that um, is one of the most effective and efficient ways to make uh, biologically available nitrogen, which is a key uh, mineral ingredient for uh, plant production. So um, your bean plant is making nitrogen available to the plant roots in the ground, while it's also providing you with food in the form of the bean that you're ultimately going to eat. The corn, of course, is making corn, which you're also going to eat. And then the third plant is um, squash, which of course makes a delicious fruit that you're going to eat. But the other thing that a squash does, it has these huge leaves, 
which uh, provide shade. So they provide a canopy over the soil surface that keeps moisture down at the soil surface, keeps the soil cool, keeps the soil surface moist, and helps protect the roots of all the plants that you, we were just talking about, the beans, the corn, and the squash, which all have shallow roots, by the way. So they're up near the surface. They can be um, hurt by too much heat and not enough water. And this canopy of the leaves of the squash protects them. And so it helps support the whole endeavor thriving. So every plant has a, a role to play for itself and for the other members of that community. And then the humans who put these things together and tend them are the beneficiaries of the fruit that they produce. Wow. We did, I could see, we did not grow our beans. We had the corn, sunflower and squash, but our beans were up on a trellis. So you're saying the beans would grow around. Do they ever smother the sunflowers and the the corn? No. See, wow. they work well together. That's Unlike cool. us that gets into kind of sometimes not <laughs> well, working we... so well together. Not not you and I. Sometimes <laughs> you and I. But, but you know, I'm just saying relationships. Humans. Human cortex. Sometimes in our human relationships, we get into some other sort of dynamic. Squeezing the life, life out, out of it. <laughs> or, you know, or not recognizing the potential for being as collaborative and interconnected as we could be. Yeah. So that, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> um, well, Robin, we're, we're going to move towards closing, but are there anything that you want to say, like for us, we were like, oh, we really want to, we really want to hurry up and get out there and garden. And you were, what, I think uh, I'm not going to, you said something to us. I want you to go ahead and say it now <laughs> to our listeners. Well, I, I said that I, I shared with you my favorite quote and I wish I knew, could remember who it is that said it. I read it somewhere years ago, which is the first thing to plant in a garden is a chair, which means really the best opportunity for each and every one of us is to sit in our garden and just be. Um, and I think it does so many things on so many levels. One, it's a way to slow down. Two, it's a way to connect. And three, it's a way to observe. You know, there's uh, truly nature is an extraordinary teacher, no matter where we start. And your garden is such an incredible opportunity to provide those resources to you, to me, to each of us, you know, helping us to mature our prefrontal cortex. So <laughs> yeah, expand. Can together with everything else and recognize it is a part of everything, but not the end all be all. Nor should it be the CEO. It no. makes a great implementation manager, but not, so, I think our soul actually is more our CEO. Okay. Did you want to say anything that relate that to what we were talking about with businesses or people, the garden, I, uh, the I, sit in the chair? <laughs> I, well, I mean, I think, you know, I, hopefully it's fairly obvious, but if it's not, I will give it to you because I, I kind of really was very clear to me when you first said this to me is that right now with everything going on, we so want to fix things. We so mm -hmm. want to do things, you know, to make it better. I mean, I do suggest you go get a vaccine. I do suggest you wear a mask. But short of that, you may, it, with all the other sort of things, sometimes it's good to go sit Even the and connect and observe and listen and not just try to put your action on it. And, you know, that's the thing I have to do. Well, I was going to relate it. I was putting my action on it there, trying to relate it to diversity and inclusion. Like, oh my gosh, I, I better learn all this stuff, which is good that you want to, that we all want to learn. And really the biggest impact is to 
listen to somebody else who has had a different experience and be a different there. experience. That doesn't, and that's this is where sometimes because I think some people who have who are now in people of color are like, quit coming to me to talk to me about what you need to learn. I get, yeah, I don't want to have, you know, 50 white people asking me what, you know, you can learn because there's lots of ways to learn. We could actually learn about how we're different from each other. And that could be hugely helpful in learning how we might be different from another culture or how we might be different than somebody who has a different cultural background than us. It's a good place to start. So yes, try to find people that are different than you and, you know, expand your garden. your human garden yes (laughs) so hopefully yes this has been we've loved we we adore you robin and (laughs) we'll have you on our podcast anytime we think you're brilliant and one of the things that i think um you have been brilliant at and you can add to this is helping local communities really learn how to grow and save seeds and create local food sources. So can you say, one, how people can contact you if they want your help in their community and and what you do? Sure. You know, and I, and I will say that this is true no matter where you live. I happen to live in the Flathead Valley in the northwestern section of Montana. And I happen to have a small heirloom seed company where I live, whose mission is to support a community uh, reestablishing its own practice of selecting, saving, and sharing seeds. And um, I promote through all my endeavors, communities having a stronger connection to their local food sources, because I believe that's the best way to support our communities thriving moving forward. But what I'm saying about me and and my community is true no matter where you live. Mm. And nature, I said this to you guys right as we started, nature actually works locally, you know, change (laughs) nature. It just things locally. So we take our cue from nature and work locally. We can build resiliency in our communities. And that's the best way to support building community for the planet and for our future as humans. So wherever you are, support your local food efforts, support your local resources for growing biologically alive compost, starting your own gardens, buy seeds locally, all that stuff. Yes. Policy, legislature, politics, local counts, you know, and yes. And Robin, if people would like support with you facilitating or educating their local community, are you available to do that outside of Northwest Montana? Sure. Yeah. You can reach me through Robin at goodseedco.net. Good Seed Company is the name of my seed company. Um, and, uh, that's the easiest way to reach me. And we can talk about resiliency. We can talk about supporting you and your local community food efforts. And I'm, I also work with a statewide Montana organization called Arrow, and we're, uh, driving, uh, a statewide marketing and media hub campaign for, for local food at a statewide level through our program called Abundant Montana. And there's a, I'd be happy to support anybody wanting to learn more how to do that in their community or how to connect to that for Montana. Can we so, put a link to that in the uh, the notes? Do you have a link? Yeah. To your, okay. It's okay. Uh, abundantmontana.com. 
Exactly. And we will put all this in the notes because yes. some, I mean, we're hoping that this sound comes out good. A couple of things you should know. Robin is sitting outside. So there have been some nice little bird sounds. Those are all natural. <laughs> and um, I think that's great. And if you, you know, uh, if there is any disruptions, we will make sure we have the links yes. uh, to this as well. Because I, I mean, I would have never paid attention to this, Robin, even though I love and adore you and you've been doing this for years. You're brilliant at it. But until COVID stopped us in our tracks, and made me be more local because we were stuck in our house. And and it's been such an enriching process in partnering with you on our garden and learning more about this and how important it is for all of us. And those are our dogs, if you can hear them in the background. So I, I think they're trying to communicate that they want water. The water bowl is empty, so they flip it over to remind us that it's full. You know? Well, thanks for having me on. It's a delight. I've I've so loved uh, being able to share the gardening information with you guys real time in a way that you've been tangibly able to participate and benefit from it. It's just great. Oh, yes. we love it. All right. Thank you, Robin. Take care. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Beauty of Conflict podcast. We know conflict, stress, and uncertainty can be hard to navigate. We want to support you becoming more resilient, able to speak up, and have healthy relationships and business teams that thrive. Connect to us on LinkedIn at Thrive Inc. Learn how we can work with you, your team, or your company at thriveinc.com. That's www.thriveinc.com. We hope you have a peaceful, productive, and beautiful day. Take care.